This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. I'm in Seattle again today for this episode of the podcast. Burke Gilman Brewing, you guys had an amazing year last year um, with this doubleheader of uh, Alpha King and winning a gold medal at GABF and uh, Imperial uh, Hazy and Juicy. We're going to talk about the way that you uh, brew hoppy beers. We've got uh, Kenneth Treese. Uh, Director of Brewing Operations, we've got uh, Phil Peshek, head brewer, and we've got Julia Astrid Davis, brewer. And, uh, you know, so it's a big group of Burke Gilman brewers here for the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much. After watching that kind of back-to-back, uh, you know, thing happen between Alpha King and GBF, you know, we all started asking that question, who's Burke Gilman brewing? <laughs> and and so I would love to answer that question through the course of this podcast and also kind of dig deeper into uh, what you all are doing that is producing that kind of success and uh, such compelling beers that are, uh, you know, out there and making waves amongst some uh, some pretty uh, difficult competition and mm-hmm. uh, some pretty you know amazing brewers. We're going to get into all of that, but first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, GND Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. New this year, redundancy meets efficiency. GND's micro-channel condensers are built with all aluminum construction, which eliminates galvanic corrosion. Using half the refrigerant of conventional condensers with fewer braised connections translates to a lower GWP and less opportunity for leaks. Call GD Chillers today to discuss your project or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and a nutty character. It's suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft-brewed versions of classic lagers. Let Roar North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. And that actually reminded me, the other thing that we should also talk about are lagers, because clearly you are IPA in the streets and lager in the sheets, according <laughs> to this, this phrase that you put out there. And uh, you know, as uh, Kate Bernat has been working on writing a story about you for the magazine. Uh, she brought that up and that was a particular note for her. She said, can we name the story this? <laughs> <laughs> we would love that. Yeah. Yeah. So give me the, give me the, the um, thumbnail sketch of Burke Gilman history. Uh, so I and uh, a group of friends who've known, known each other since high school, a long time, uh, you know, found that we were all into craft beer. Uh, we were into the Seattle beer scene. Uh, we had been going to uh, great local places like uh, like Big Time Brewing on, on the University Avenue for a long time. Uh, in the mid-2010s, I guess like 2016 or so, uh, in our neighborhood, a really nice place opened called Ravenna Brewing. We found ourselves going there all the time. Um, and it was, for us, uh, a new model. Like, I had homebrewed in the 90s, a little bit in the, in the 2010s or, or in the 2000s. And people would always say, oh, are you going to open your own brewery? And to me, a brewery was always like a factory in a warehouse district. And I was right. like, that doesn't appeal to me. I don't really want to do that. Or it was a brew pub with a restaurant. And I was like, I don't want to make pizzas. I don't, I don't know how. I don't, I don't want to run a restaurant. Right, right. right. But this new model, of uh, which Washington legalized uh, a few years back, of have a brewery with a tap room, uh, which is, you know, for all intents and purposes, a bar without having to jump through all of the legal hoops that a bar has to jump right. through. You can make beer. You can have a food truck. Uh, you don't have to worry about food yourself. You can have families there. Uh, I had young kids myself, and I found this is a lot of fun. Um, and so my friends and I looked at each other and said, you can do this? I didn't know you could do this. This is, this is really cool. C- could we do this? Um, and so we started in with the spreadsheets and the research. And after a couple of years, we sort of had kind of like a gut check, like, okay, this is about what we think it's going to cost. This is what we're going to do. Who's in? Who's out? The people who stayed in. 
know, of course it cost way more than we thought it was <laughs> sure, going to cost. Sure, of course. It took way longer than we thought it was going to take. In that group of four friends, I and another guy named Ty Ovendale uh, were the brewers. We were the people who had done extensive home brewing. And our initial idea was, oh, well, we'll, we'll be the brewers. Uh, and you guys, Eric and Corey, you, you run the tap room. And how hard could this be, right? Um, at some point, famous, uh, famous last words. Yes. At some point, uh, fortunately, uh, some spouses stepped in and said, "So you're going to be away? What? Both Saturday and Sunday every weekend brewing? Is that what you're going to do? Because you're going to keep your day job." Um, and it occurred to us, we could hire a brewer. Why don't we put up an ad? We could hire a brewer. And then we sort of redid the numbers and um, put up an ad. Interviewed, I don't know, probably ten people, and uh, one of them was Mr. Peshak here. One of them was Phil. And we were really, uh, we were really impressed with his openness to experimentation, with his attitude, um, with his willingness to make the kinds of things we wanted to make. Um, we found that I, I would get interviewed by, by journalists all the time saying, hey, there's a new brewery on the scene. What's, what's your specialty? What are you going to do? And they're really expecting an answer like, we're going to do IPAs or we're going to do sours or we're going to do you know, whatever. And we didn't have a great answer other than we just we just like beer. We want to make we want to make everything right, which is not a not an answer that that uh, an article gets written about. Like right. there's a new generalist brewery, right, right. right. Um, and honestly, you know, I, I I don't want to put words in Phil's mouth, but I think that he uh, is is came in with the opinion that well we sh- we should make IPAs because IPAs are the best and IPAs <laughs> sell and hops are awesome and we don't disagree. We love IPAs, right, right. Um, but we also asked him, look, I don't want to be one of those places with eight IPAs and a wheat beer on. Right. I want to be a place that has some variety. We like all kinds of beer. Let's research this. And the number of times I said, hey, I just read this interesting article in this magazine I subscribed to. Uh, you know, what about this title of beer? And Phil saying, I, I don't I don't know what that is. How could how can we brew that? I don't know. All right, I'll do some research. And then we would make a version and it was decent. And then we'd make a second version, kind of having tried to fix what we learned from the first version. It was pretty good. Um, and so that's how we grew. Uh, and so, you know, we have our little, our little catchphrase about IPAs and lagers, but I mean, we've also got recently we had four, five different Belgian Abbey ales on. Um, we like to do all kinds of interesting stuff. Um, uh, at some point, like for a while, I mean, our, our sales here just in the tap room, cause we don't distribute a lot. were of a level where, where Phil could pretty easily, I don't want to say easily, he worked hard, but he could handle it himself. Right. After we won the award, uh, we sort of looked at each other and said, maybe it's time for that intern. <laughs> maybe it's time for that seller person. And then I was talking to my partners and I was like, well, what if, what if we didn't just hire a seller person? What if we hired another brewer? Like, could we add to our, our repertoire, right? right? Like Phil has obviously proved himself with hops. Can we add someone who doesn't like hops and wants to do something else, right? Um, and so we did that search and along came Julia who was very open and I thought it took some, some, uh, some bravery to, uh, to say, you know, I'm actually not all that into IPAs. I'm like, really? You came and interviewed at the uh, Alpha King winning brewery and you were willing to say that. <laughs> Tell me more. That's, uh, that's some confidence. Um, and so she's uh, come along and sort of added a different uh, dimension to, uh, to what Phil gives us. And uh, layered on top of that was the pandemic where we, you know, sure, we, sure. our sales were cut by like two thirds for a little while there until we figured out some other stuff. But here we are starting to open back up again. And uh, I'm really like, I'm really excited about, you know, the possibilities that, that, that having Phil on staff gives us with exploring different hop combos, the possibilities that Julia having, on, having Julia on staff gives us with exploring, you know, I want to say everything else, obviously you're not responsible for every single other thing, but sure, you know, sure. Um, being able to come and say, I want to brew this lager. I want to brew this other thing. That's, that's not a hoppy beer. And Phil stepping away and saying, great, you do that one. I'll do this one. Let me know when you need help. That sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. What is uh what's the beer development process look like for you all? You know, it seems like it's, you know, both individual and collaborative, you know, and ideas come to the table and then you work through and you iterate them and and you know, maybe work together on them. Talk to me a little bit about how how that process looks for you all. It's chaos. Chaos. <laughs> it's organizing okay. chaos. Uh, we have a 500 square foot brew house and uh, a limited floor space. I can have enough space on the floor for you know, 90 bags of malt and, and things go wrong and you have to, you have to scratch a brew and then you, uh, you just have to make the best of things. Uh, it's a small system here, you know, and you've got a, a tap room here that's kind of in a walkout ground level, but kind of basement of another building. Yes. Um, and so it's 
very much tucked in here and also built in a way to kind of maximize customer space more so than brew house space. But from a creative perspective, like, you know, how do new ideas and new beers, you know, come to the table and how do you guys work through those ideas? I spend a lot of time just looking at what's working in that, what's working in the market, whether it's on, you know, online or, uh, just uh, trying to think of how to reinvent, a, take a new approach on on a beer. Like, um, you know, I think uh, uh, right now I'm kind of like my eyes are kind of looking at uh, lagers and uh, how do you take uh, use uh, hops in a new way, like a new um, you know aromatic hops from New Zealand and uh, Germany, and figure out what uh, how those might really really shine in a lager format. For IPAs, I'm I'm really uh, pretty obsessed with with uh, figuring out what hops work, what hops don't work. Um, I really just it's like visually I see hops connecting in my head, um, and and I just have to thoroughly document that. Um, and uh, for for IPAs, we'll come back and unpack that in a little right, bit because sure. I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> There's can, a lot there. No, I mean, that's the interesting thing about talking to people about their creative process, like understanding the way that the kind of mental structures that, other, that people use to kind of build these things. It's it's fun to get into that. But, you know, for the brewing development, we have 19 taps and they're all very different beers. So it's that's when we're talking about chaos. It's just a lot of organizing, yeah. whether you have to manage or you can't allow you can't, you know, you, if you have to maintain a, a lager strain. And make sure it's not going to uh, go to a tall size. Um, you, you and you're bringing a stout that week. You might have to cancel that stout so you can have some work. You can maintain that lager strain with that you're going to use the next week. Well, where to in terms of developing recipes? You know, when, as you develop the the recipes for these beers, you know, you mentioned that uh, Julia brought uh, um, you know Belgian styles to the table. How do you guys do? You work through those together, or is it just a hey, go brew it? And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it and talk about it and work through it after that. How does, how does that creative piece of it work? I mean, our process does tend to be kind of collaborative in that we'll often, uh, we always uh, work hazies and, hazies and IPAs into our schedule because those are, we're known for that at this point and they're, sure. so they're always going to be on tab. But then we also, also look at. Also, we have rent to pay, so we need to work hazies in there. So. Hey, for sure, <laughs> for sure. You have customers to make happy. That's yes. what you have. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But then uh, we also like to look at, uh, well, what what gaps do we have? What uh, What is going to be best for the season or what are we going to be able to sell uh, this time of year? What are people going to want right now? What or what do we not have that people really want right now? And as for me personally, I also like to kind of look at. Let's see. Let me look. Let me look in our back catalog. I haven't seen us do much of this style before. I haven't seen us do this in a long time. I would like to try my hand at this. And general, generally speaking, if the if it works out scheduling wise, if it works out yeast wise, uh, uh, the folks here are very receptive to. Yeah, Julia, go for it. Uh, like when I got here, it's not that I don't like IPAs, just that I know my no IPAs are not my specialty. Phil here is definitely the Alpha King. <laughs> Uh, but he, he seems a little obsessive, a little bit <laughs> obsessive about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, to very good ends, for sure. For, I mean, well, we, we also got the medals have a, to prove it. In, in our company Slack, we also have a you know a, a late night drinking channel. It's yeah. A, you know what? What are you drinking? Take a picture of it. Tell me why do I like this? And so, you know, if someone went to a bottle shop and picked up something that looked interesting, they might look at it and then they might do a little research. And you know, in my case, hey, there was an article last week in Craft Brew and Brewing about this. Let me read the details. And then I'm I'm texting these two guys and saying, "Hey, could we? What do you think about this? What could we do?" And then someone says, "You know, we've got a yeast that's similar that we're planning on using next month for that one. What if we did them both? You know, one in a succession to make the yeast management easier, that sort of thing." We start we start talking that way, or someone yeah. will chime in. I know I saw 11 pounds of that hop in the back of the freezer, <laughs> and I kind of want to use it up. So why don't we try that? That sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. I didn't pay you for those plugs, but I really appreciate that. <laughs> uh, they did not go unnoticed. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about finding inspiration for these hoppy beers. Where you go for that, and how you've you know built some uh, some hop understanding around here that clearly has reflected itself in crazy award winning beers. Before we do that, the world of craft beer is a different place now. 
Margins are more important than ever, so why not lower your ingredient cost? Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard are the cost-effective solution for your fruit-forward needs. Old Orchard produces high volumes of their retail juice brand, so economies of scale keep prices low for their bulk supply program. A little concentrate goes a long way, and you won't lose some of it through filtering like you would with purees. To start increasing your margins now, head on over to www.oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, for years, Brewery DB has been the industry's only professionally curated source of brewery and beer information. In 2019, over 1 million brewery visits were made by craft fans searching for breweries on brewerydb.com. In just a few weeks, Brewery DB will unveil an all-new experience to help craft lovers get back on the brewery trail to take full advantage of the enhanced marketing power of Brewery DB and increase your taproom traffic. Set up your account on marketmybrewery.com. That's marketmybrewery.com. It's easy and it's free. So, Phil, talk to me about that source of inspiration for the hoppy side of beers here. You know, clearly these are your babies and clearly... You know, they're responding, you know, people are responding to them both locally and, of course, you know, in awards. Um, you know, wh- where does that inspiration come from? What do you look to in order to help guide some of the, you know, design and parameters that you build around some of these IPAs? What's really, what's really done it for us is uh, uh, competitions. Yeah. Um, you, competitions really... Uh, you're, you have to send your best. You're not trying to win third or fourth. You're trying to win. And you have to figure out, you know, what, not what were people doing last year. What are people doing now? You have to pay attention to that in February um, and really look at what are, what are people doing? What, are they, what hops are they reusing? Um, and uh, get some practice brews in early, yeah. in, early in the year. And, um, and for, that final, for that final batch, you're going full send. You're... Making a really expensive <laughs> beer, um, and uh, so winning one co- winning one award for fresh hop um, had was uh, really was really pivotal for us. Uh, it gave us all a little bit more faith that you know what was give, what was give that us a- give us a bigger budget for hops. What uh, was that? that was the so the Washington Beer Awards, which is their right. local state competition, uh, had a their first ever fresh hop competition. Hmm. And they had seven or eight categories of fresh hop, and right. and we entered uh, well, we entered two, I think, and one of them won a gold, which was our first our first gold, um, which was uh, really validating. Um, I, I think I recall uh, I recall you telling me a story, Phil, that while you were there, you you overheard someone complaining about, well, I mean, you just put like a bunch of extra hops in just to win or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's, thinking, that's yeah, why I'm not trying to win third. <laughs> I mean, <we're, laughs> that's why we're here, right? Who yeah. enters a competition and isn't trying to win? Right. Yeah. I, think, yeah. I think they asked, they thought I was cheating because I dry hopped or something. I was like, well, yeah, I dry hopped. Yep. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyways, well, yeah, that was our no, so, 2019. But you got I, that taste. You got that taste of winning and, you know, uh, and it became addictive. Really, huh? I mean, there was a. I, I really have to call out Scott Yanish for writing the the new IPA. Um, sure, sure. In early 2019, our beers were really uh, uh, nothing, pale in comparison to what they are now. And I read that book, and then I won uh, that Fresh Up. Then I won that uh, medal for Fresh Up. And then you look at 2020, and um, now I'm now I'm uh, dry hopping by taste. So now I have a hands on hands on connection with the beer. So I have a crystal clear uh, concept of, of, oh, this beer needs more mosaic or a touch of galaxy or Ido. Yeah, I just, uh, our, annual, our annual brewing schedule is kind of revolves around, right, around, revolves these, around these competitions. Hmm. Um, as far as, you know, as soon as it's, the cycle's over, it starts right back up thinking sure. about it. Because right as soon as you're done uh, with all this, with a competition cycle, then then you have your new, the new, uh, the hops for the, that year coming out, right? You know, in the next couple of months. So you're already still thinking, like, all right, what now? They're, they're you know, hops that haven't been out for ten, uh, eight or ten months are there, and you start planning, like, okay, what, what are we going to be, where are we going to be getting, and uh, where are we going to be getting, how much, and how far, how far, how hard do we want to push? Yeah, we're we're fortunate to live so close to the hop fields here, for sure, for sure, uh, and so that really enforces an extra seasonality on stuff like we can't just say no we're not making a fresh hop beer why would we do that because everyone in seattle has come to expect it right right uh and we've come to like it too mm-hmm. um 
And so, you know, you can only make them a certain time of year and, and you can't say, let's, uh, I got room in the schedule in December to make the fresh hop beer. Cause it's just, it doesn't work. Right. Right. Um, and so that like working back from that, well, GABF is a little bit before that. If I want to make something for GABF, we got to make it in this time. And then there comes a the fresh hop. And so there's, you know, it, it, there, there's some, a lot of stuff that's forced on you. For sure. For sure. No, I, we, I did an entire episode with, uh, Matt Lincoln of Fremont talking only about brewing their fresh hop beers. First fresh hop beers I had were his. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so it's certainly, you know, that, that is a subject that can, uh, you know, fill an entire episode just by itself. (laughs) And if people want to listen to that one, just go listen to that episode because it, it was a good one. Um, but Phil, you mentioned when we were talking earlier that you visualize these hops in your head and that you can just, you know, you can see them. Um, that's fascinating to me. Kinda, I don't, I don't want like you to tell me more I about that. synesthesia when I was younger. I don't know, but I still kind of sure. draw on that. And um, I just... You know, synesthesia is when you see this as color or... Sort of. Yeah. You're just, your brain's using different parts of different organs in the brain right. to do... Uh, so you're, 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 the part that thinks of music or color is, is kind of storing storing those those thoughts in different ways um but yeah usually when you have when you have like i would eat food and think of that as green or or listen to music and i don't know but anyways with hops i know I, I i do the same thing and i will describe you know to joe a beer in terms of color and it's a red know, beer and it's like it's like what Right. You know, like this, this beer is kind of moving, you know, into this blue green territory. And, you know, it makes sense to me because that's the way I might, I, you know, just taste and see that. And, uh, you know, but I'm, that's interesting that, uh, you can relate to these kinds of flavors, you know, how in that sense, in, in that kind of, you know, mental way, um, or do specific hops, uh, have specific, no, nothing like that. I no. just, um, just making connections between hops and, and the ratios, and um, it's really kicked in with uh, directly tasting between dry hops, and yeah. uh, being able to uh, know that just kind of have a uh, I don't know, just know that it's going to this this beer is, it's good, but it really needs some Idaho Seven or Galaxy or uh, sure sure next up. Let's back up and talk about that entire this kind of you know base, and we can kind of you know maybe work on west coast ipa and then work on a hazy ipa you know kind of on on parallel trajectories there you know how do you let's build from from the base up you know as you're as you're building a uh you know intense rugged very hoppy west coast ipa that's going to win the alpha king challenge you know what does the base for that look like in terms of grist and, and you know um and uh, you know, and grain. For the base malt, I need a good, uh, a really good, uh, really good performing uh, pale ale malt, pilsner, some chit malt, garifom. Um, make sure to balance the pH to five point three uh, using acidulated malt. Um, and that's that's where I. And then you're gonna absolutely physically cram as much malt into the mash tun as possible. Yeah. And that's are there specific as, uh, you know malts that you find yourself leaning towards because they, Thomas Fawcett. Thomas Fawcett. Yeah. And yeah. then um, currently we're finding Canadian uh, superior pills to perform pretty well on that. It's just for a particular system. We don't sure. have a mill, so. Phil, get, what was the, there was a malt that we can't get anymore that you really liked. It was the. Thomas Fawcett pills. No, no, it was. Oh, oh right. Um, full pint. Full pint. The full pint. Mm-hmm. Malt, yeah. yeah. Our supplier stopped carrying it. And yeah. so we're sad, but. Well, they just couldn't get the contract on it. Um, I think it's, I don't think you can get it anywhere in the world. I, I yeah. don't think they, the maltsters could get, could get it at a, at a, uh, at an affordable price. Yeah. And so you don't mill here. And so you have it pre-milled then? Yeah. We, we have it pre-milled. Uh, we have a project on our list to, to install a mill. Yeah. Uh, we already basically have it purchased, but we have so little space that they're asking us, well, how do you want to do the auger? And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about that. Um, <laughs> so we need to find someone who can. Help us figure out how to cram this thing in here. Sure, um, sure. So getting back to the build, um, for uh, uh, for IPAs, um, I just like Chico. Um, I mean, for West Coast, I like Chico. Sure. And for Hazy's, I stick with London Fog. Yeah. Um, London Fog can t- uh, top crop uh, very, very easily. So we will pitch our yeast, take that 
pitch line and hook that up to the CIP arm and then make sure to uh, put the fermenter's blow-off hose in from, from the yeast brink into uh, airlock. And so all the cross, so the yeast brink now is going to collect all the crossing from, uh, from the brew. And it, uh, but if, if, if something goes wrong, you don't have crossing, then you're going to have to burp the tank to, uh, to get it, to get some of that, to capture some of that crossing. Right. Um, for, uh, West coast, the bitterness, I, I, bitterness just isn't what it used to be. Uh, yeah. I don't, I will never do a 60, a, a large 60 minute, uh, kettle edition. I'm more focused on what performs in mid boil ops. Right. Um, and I like, uh, I think warrior just absolutely shines. Yeah. Um, it's a, has a nice, uh, citrusy resinous character. And but I think you're right. That's the, the key on some of that. If it's going to be big in bitterness, the quality of the bitterness and the kind of depth and complexity of that bitter flavor really, got really to think matters about and it. sets these beers apart. Yeah, you really got to think about it. And hops really, really uh, truly shine. Uh, Midboil, uh, Chinook, um, Strata's good one. Um, mm, well, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, for for Hazy's, uh, I like to uh, throw a little um, anti-foam hops uh, first, uh, at first boil. Um, maybe five or from five to 10 IBUs worth. Uh, I think it helps the, I think it really helps the hops, uh, shine. I don't, I don't really know the science behind it. I just seen it. Sure. Uh, sure. Um, I've seen, just seen that work and then, uh, I'm kind of toying with doing three to five minute, uh, three to three to five minute additions. Um, and then with our system, we're physically limited to, 12 pounds, about 12 pounds per, uh, in the, in the, that we can add total in the kettle. So I tend to find myself that restrained that way. Like how can we physically cram more hops into the kettle? <laughs> I, I say that right. all the time. So, uh, yeah. you know, we're looking at cryo hops or Lupamax right, or any right. of the products out there and they have to be used. They have to be used, uh, very, uh, well, you have to do your homework and they have to be used in the right way. Like if you use, all hop oil then it can come with a really harsh a harsh bitterness care uh, like a harsh character um but when you all use them all in balance then uh then well you can you can get way you can get physically crammed more in the right. kettle and then for dry hopping you have a similar problem i mean uh yield becomes a problem where every pound of pellets you add uh absorbs about 0.7 gallons of of wort so when you're when we're dry hopping you know, 20, 30 pounds into our batch, uh, it means we're going to have a lot less product. And you're brewing on a relatively smaller scale already. And so losing yeah. more beer through that process is right. not when, an exciting prospect. And when most of the beer sells by the pint, you're talking hundreds, yeah. thousands of dollars. So you right. really want to, uh, that's yeah. kind of my, my research is there right now on how we can improve our yield and have a beer as hoppy as, hoppy as possible. Yeah, sometimes Phil will come to me and say, I want to try this new, product you know cryotype product let's let's try it out and you know it's whatever thirty dollars a pound forty five dollars a pound and i'm like how much you wanted that that's that's pretty expensive he's like well i think i'll get another barrel out of the batch i'm like okay let's try it by all means sure sure they don't make micro uh centrifuges for for breweries (laughs) your size but i wouldn't use it no i know i'd lose the aromatics you gotta do everything possible to keep the aromatics in that beer um uh down to every single step um, I dumped the dumped the cone after one day because after 24 hours we've extracted the majority of the aromatics that we need, um, and uh, with carbonate when we carbonate, so we're transferring beer from 33 degree beer into a bright tank that's 40 degrees. So the headspace of that fermenter is going to chill while you're carbonating. We I carbonate overnight, and so that means that. As your, the pressure increases during carbonation, some of those, some of that CO2 is going to be traveling entirely through the beer into the headspace, carrying the aromatics with it. So I make sure to put uh, CO2 on the CAP arm to maintain, uh, to make sure that the, the head pressure doesn't drop from that, from that loss of uh, the re- reduced reduction in pressure. So you are really trying to, you know, keep every aromatic element yeah. right into the, in yeah, that we, liquid. Paid a, paid a whole it. lot for it. <laughs> right, 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 right. I, that, that's some dogged determination. And, uh, you know, obviously it's it's bearing some good results for you. Um, let's talk about hops themselves. 
you know, you clearly, you know, think about hops and have these mental pictures of, of hops. Um, you, you know, as you're building hot and you're also paying attention to hops that other brewers are using, how they're using them and, uh, the interesting effects that those things can have. Um, you know, let's, uh, Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some of those hop combinations that speak to you that you find yourself, you know, um, uh, really enjoying moving into your beers. I, I cannot see doing a doing an IPA without Mosaic. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Citra plays along in there. Uh, sure. Extremely well. That's that's obvious. Um, and uh, I'm really liking Idaho 7 to meet its way into nearly all our beers. I see Idaho and Galaxy play really well together, particularly with Mosaic. What do you um, like about Idaho 7? It's just a, it's just a, a, a absolutely incredible booster hop. But if you use too much of it, it comes with a harsh, uh, harsh bitterness in the back of the palate. Um, so in the Whirlpool, I'll tend to do about, I think about four, three to one ratio of uh, Citra to Idaho. Um, because you don't, you can't, you'll get more, you'll get that harsh, harsh bite at the back of the palate. And with the, uh, it's even the same thing with dry hops. Um, but man, with, you take Citra and Mosaic together and they're, they just amplify each other. And, sure, and Idaho sure. comes in there just a little touch of it or a little touch of Galaxy. Um, and, and it, it just gets boosted uh, so much higher. Interesting. Interesting. How would when you say boosted, what do you think it does? Is it just visually? I think of the hop aromatic as a as a like a bell curve or half of a bell, half a side of a bell curve, and you, on the end of it, you have uh, if you want to go out to like you know the fourth or fifth standard deviation, you've got thousands and thousands of subsensory thresh, uh, uh, subsensory threshold uh, hop aromatic compounds that just aren't there. And when you, so if you had your, uh, you started with uh, mosaic and you had a touch of Idaho or a touch of Citra, those subsensory thresholds are coming to, uh, are together become, uh, become, th- uh, past that th- threshold. And I, th- I, it's not one or two compounds. It's thousands upon thousands. It's really hard to right. nail down specifically what's happening. It's more of a artistic, sure. um, more of an artistic process. So you can use a mixture of different hops to enhance those those way out on the curve compounds without enhancing the stuff that's in the middle that would then dominate the palate. Right. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Are there uh, other hops that you find do the same? We we have you know talked about that in the past as you know I've called them everything from like uh, you know point guard hops. They're they're not they're, they're not scoring, but they're uh, you know. They're, they're setting up the scoring play. Hmm. Um, you know, are there other hops in, you know, Idaho 7 and Galaxy you just mentioned that uh, that help bring out interesting or nice characters in, you know, some of those uh, leading role hops? I think there's I think there's about five main, for me, we have five main hops, uh, uh, Citra, Mosaic. It's everything in Hopotheosis. Citra, <laughs> Mosaic, Idaho, Strata, Galaxy. And then everything else I think of as a booster hop and, it has that, pro, you know, they, they're all going to have that little caveat where you use too much of it and you're going to get, right. you're going to get that harsh back of the palate bitterness. And once that's in there, there's, you can't get it out. Yeah. Um, so we have, uh, we have a three way, we have like uh, some stainless uh, mini kit. We have some stainless mini growlers. And so we'll take, um, we'll get a, a base beer from either here or, a, or a, a neighboring brewery that is only citra, only mosaic. And then we'll fill those uh, three growlers with, with that beer, and then dose uh, uh, dose at a rate equivalent to two pounds per barrel, and it's a really affordable and cheap way to uh, figure out what those next hops are. I really have my eyes on Vic Secret, uh, the connection between Nelson and Mosaic and Galaxy, and my interest is picked in Drew One if I can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many exp- new experimental hops out there that it's just. Ah, oh, man, there's hundred. Well, there's there's, sure, there's sure. probably forty or fifty to to go through. Um, this is going to sound kind of weird, but I want to put in a plug for another brewery that is in Yakima, uh, named yeah. Single Hill. Sure, um, super nice guys. Yeah, and they're right there in the hop fields, oh. and they do this fun series of beers where they have 
they make the same base beer, and then they have they have a fifteen barrel system, right? This is the Outcross series the that Outcross you're about series. to talk exactly. about. Sure, yeah. sure. It's um, Zach, right? Zach is 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 uh is is one of their brewers and, and owners, yeah. And he uh, yeah he was just emailing me about this uh, oh, okay. this week and sent me samples of the three different Outcross oh, beers. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, for your listeners, like they 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 make, take the same base beer. They have three five barrel fermenters, and they will take that same base beer and dry hop with a different interesting experimental hop for each one and then they decided to put that out as a three pack of cans so you can try each thing right and every time i come out with a new one i, I order a couple of three packs because it's so much fun right um and they're all they have numbers like did you like the 1038 did you like the 642 i'm, I'm making out those numbers but um, right, right it's just so it's so cool to see that kind of experimentation um it's anyway. amazing to see that kind of leadership in the industry of somebody taking those risks and really doing a lot of the hard work for us um, right so now you can, these are hops that we might not even know to get. And now you get, these guys are uh, you know, right there. They're uh, subject matter experts on, on uh, new experimental hops and they can get them. Uh, right. So you get to see what works, what, what doesn't work and where they were, they had one hop in the last hop cross where they're really excited about it. And Julie and I taste it and we're like, I'm like, no, no, that hop belongs in a lager. Like that'll be new, right. new cutting edge lager. And Julia's like, no, that's. That should be in a saison, and so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'll brew the lager. You brew the saison. I do really want that one in a saison, <laughs> just that particular one we were talking about. Yeah, and it, I mean, there's no reason it can't work for both. That that's really fun. So you know, from your standpoint, then um, you know, evaluating hops, you are a small brewery. You're not doing huge, you know, thousands and thousands of barrels of beer per year. Contracts have to be, a, you know, a difficult thing to pull off at this kind of scale. Yeah. Um, talk to me about if, like getting quality hops and evaluating, you know, each of those bags of hops as they come into the brewery, so that you are putting in the quality of hop that you want to make the beer that you want to make. Clearly, you know, we've we've had this conversation a whole bunch of times and. There are brewers that will tell me you have to select and we have, you know, the magic in our beer is because we're able to pick exactly the hops we want. Right. You don't have that luxury and yet, or at least on a large scale, but yet you just made, make these award winning beers. And so I'm curious, like, what is that process when, when these ingredients come in, how you think about and evaluate and, you know, can figure out how to, you know, adjust potentially if something is a little, you know, not exactly the way you expect it to be as it comes in. What it talks a little bit about that process. I, I don't see myself doing hop selections. Uh, I, I'm not saying they don't work. I, I think, uh, I think the hop chemistry is a much more complicated thing than it was uh, maybe back in 10 years ago when we were making the era of 200 IBU West Coast IPAs. You could do a hop rubbing of Cascade or Chinook. And I think that's pretty fairly accurately what the, what the, that'll fairly accurately translate into what the, the IPA will taste like. And uh, the hops now, uh, the hops now, the compounds uh, don't, you know, if you take, uh, if you smell a bag of Galaxy, to me, it smells like old Haller Tower. And uh, I would never guess that a little bit of that would do so much to an IPA. And for, you know, basic uh, quality control, Wait, I just haven't really observed. Uh, I haven't observed that much variance in the quality of hops coming through. Huh. Uh, after after winning um, after winning the awards, it was uh, easy to make a compelling argument that we need a contract because of the volatility that we observed in the market back in 2019. We were paying 25 pound for Citra. Right, that's crippling. You can't do yeah, much. Yeah. No, you can't use six pounds per barrel. Of, right, of that. right. Um, so you're able to contract with a uh, reputable supplier where the quality is just not going to be a, not really going to be a huge issue. Right. When we have encountered, uh, you know, what I've seen is there'd be bad years, maybe a bad year for Galaxy that happened. But I haven't seen um, I haven't seen too much variance from one supplier to the next. Um, I tend to prefer the you know, some of the bigger guys um, just because I think they're doing a lot of that hard work for me. Um, and then, and you know, maybe there's, uh, you get occasional, I do now, uh, when we received every box, we inspect every single bag, make sure it passes. You can, that's uh, holding pressure. Right. Right. Um, cause if it's had a tear, who knows how many years ago that happened. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that the, the people who are doing the hop selection, I mean, 
I can totally see why they're doing it if it's we're making 60 barrels of this exact beer twice a week, putting it in cans. It has to be shelf stable for three months. And we don't want someone to notice a difference in the taste from April to May. Right. 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 Um, we're just not at that scale, of course. I and mean, we made we made 280 barrels of beer last year. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd love it if we made 400 barrels this year. Uh, but we're not going to make we're not, we're not going to do that. Right. 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 Um, and so I can totally see how if you've got your process that refined, you know, to where you can pull off what what some of the big guys are, are pulling off. It, you know, maybe it matters. Hey, the Mercine in this one was this percent, but the Mercine in that batch was that percent. Uh, and my target is this. And so I, I'm big enough to afford some GCMS on my finished beer. And I know that this is what we need. So I'm going to select that batch. I'm like, yeah, that's I'm, you're sciencing that. And that's great. Um, we're not at the scale where we could afford sure, to. Do, sure. It might be fun. Um, but yeah, and there's no need to do it because yeah. your your customers, it's not going to translate into some experience for them that is any markedly better. I, I am convinced that a fair number of brewers go to hop selection because it's a great excuse to go hang out with their friends and, uh, you know, go drink some beers in Yakima. I, I'm and, glad you said that because it's what I wanted to say. <laughs> um, but there's yeah, nothing uh, wrong with that. I mean, I, I think at this point of, you know, after this past year of COVID, we're all dying to get out and spend time with each other. And, and we, enjoy we recently this. took a trip to Yakima to, yeah. to hang out. And yeah, we were hearing stories about the hop selection. And I was thinking, geez, I want to do that, but I don't have a good excuse to do it. I'll just, I'll just make one up. You know. Yeah, yeah. It is a, a fun time, that selection period, that you know, and the harvest time. Like it's just fun to be there and if you're engaged in this kind of thing and yeah. making and, beer like this. And, and it is Eastern Washington is a beautiful part of the world. It um, is. All yeah. all of us owners grew up in Eastern Washington and going back there is always kind of nostalgic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm hoping to get back this year either for for harvest or or for the Fresh Hop Festival. Um just just to get back into it cuz sure. right. Uh, and that connection between the agriculture and the beer is is so important and it's so you know necessary um to give hops growers and that agricultural side of it the credit that they deserve for this you know era of of incredibly creative craft beer that we're in. And so that's a fun piece. Um but let's talk a little bit more about brewing. Let's talk about that fermentation side, you know, and dry hopping strategy with your IPAs. Um, you mentioned, you know, the the yeast that you use. Um, what is, you know, but the dry hopping and how you do it and when you do it and what temperatures you do it at, you know, are all things that, that uh, you know, vary from brewer to brewer. Talk to me a little bit about that strategy for you all. We, uh, again, we're, we have uh, eight-foot ceilings and the tanks are about a foot foot and a half from the top of the ceiling so we don't really have the luxury of using a hop doser so uh we we wait till the beard passes a vdk and then we'll do a dry hop dump the cone do another dry hop dump the cone and then we'll taste it does it need more hops if so you dry hop it and dump the cone uh, how long do you, dump, how? you dump the cone 24 hours later oh so yeah so, so 24 hours on yeah. the hops and then you then you dump it yeah so most uh, what a lot of breweries right now are doing is they wait till the beers passes vdk and you uh then now you crash the tank down to 58 or maybe 52 degrees you uh add a hop doser on top of the fermenter which um if anybody doesn't know is kind of uh it's like a mini fermenter where it says a cylinder and a cone and it has a port on the bottom where you can uh, where you can pull where you can purge the purge that vessel with CO2, and now you add those hops in. So once fermentation's done, you don't want any oxygen getting into the beer, particularly if you're dry hopping cold. So that's why we're using that's why they use the hop doser. And then lots will do uh, one one large one large dry hop and. Um, and then dump the cones some hours later, and we just don't have, we just don't, can't, can't do that here. We don't have the ceiling height, so I just uh, work with what I got, and we, uh, we uh, dry hop at seventy-two degrees. I'm sure we lose some aromatics doing that. Um, not 70, 70, 68 to seventy degrees, and and then dump the cone the, the day after. But the critical part for me is tasting it. Um, noting any difference, batch to batch differences, uh, what if one batch, like this last batch of Hopotheosis and Hop Splainer just really shine and we're like, you know, all night, like I have like a laser focus on figuring out what particularly happened on that batch. 
was it this new process where we're using cryo hops um, that would increase the volume? Does that impact how the flavor is getting into the beer or I'm, I don't know. I'm still looking into it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that amount of fixation I'm that, that you anti, apply to this. I'm anti-consistency. You know, if yeah. you keep making the same, you keep drinking the same, your favorite beer day after day, well, every couple of days, year after year, you eventually your palate fatigues and you just get kind of bored and you want to try something else. And also then when you're, when you're pro when you're pro consistency, in my opinion, you're anti-advancement. You're not, uh, just, uh, you know, I, I want to continuously improve the beer batch after batch, figure out what didn't work, what does work and figure out, you know, what, what products are out there that we can, again, physically cram more hops into the beer while being able to pay rent here. Sure. Sure. Let's talk a little bit more about that. But first the founders launched SS Brewtech with a very clear goal to advance brewing equipment design performance and quality to the very highest standards in the industry with a team that draws upon strong functional backgrounds in brewing science, mechanical engineering, industrial design, supply chain, and manufacturing. SS Brewtech has the people and skill sets you'd want and expect from your supplier of pro brewing equipment. Head over to ssbrewtech.com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear. Also, food grade lubricants are not your top concern. Your beer is lucky for you. Clarion has a passion for protecting your beer by helping to make your brewing system 100% food safe. When you switch to Clarion food grade lubricants, you are reducing the risk of costly contamination and recalls to virtually zero, all while extending the life of your equipment. And that leaves you with peace of mind to think about what really matters. Go to clarionlubricants.com to learn more. Well, we've been talking a lot about hoppy beers, but uh, like we said at the top, you uh, you proudly display that catchphrase on your website, IPA in the streets and lager in the sheets. So let's talk a little bit about some of that, the, you know, that kind of passionate approach to uh, the beers that you love to make. We've now got some, uh, some Czech dark lager in front of us. Um, and Julia, talk to me a little bit. You, you seem, you're heading up the kind of non hoppy beers we let Phil focus on the hoppy <laughs> beers and uh and you know you are working on some of these other beers talk to me a little bit about the the kind of uh, your the way that you focus on lagers for Burke Gilman for me I mean for me lagers are some of my favorite styles to brew because they pose uh they pose a lot of challenge that to me that other beers don't always pose because they can be so finicky in terms of yeast management in terms of aging to get it as clean and clear as possible you and can't hide anything in a lager of course right yeah exactly i mean you can't I mean you can but do you want to and obviously <laughs> we don't right right what do the parameters of the the lager program look like you know do you or you find yourself going back to um you know a subset of this i mean the lager world is really broad right can, you know. can i give a let me give a little history uh sure. so um we when we planned out our brewery uh, we, our focus was definitely on being an ale brewery. Uh, the, the, the craft lager movement hadn't really, really taken root yet. Uh, we intended to open at the beginning of summer 2018. And then of course, construction delays and delays and delays. We wound up opening towards the end of summer 2018. Um, and so we built a little bit of an audience, but then winter happened. Um, and winter's kind of a cold gray place in, in Seattle. And, and of course, sales were not what we thought they would be. So we had extra time. And so we said to Phil, let's brew a lager. Why not? We've we got time in the tank. Right. Uh, so Phil thought about it. We, we made a couple of iterations and we, we wound up making a Vienna lager that really hit the spot with our customers. Um, enough that when we, we intended it to be a one-off batch. Uh, and then when we ran out, people were like, can I have more of that Vienna lager? Uh, I guess we better make it again. <laughs> um, now it's become one of our standards. Yeah. Uh, I think we're on batch nine or 10 or something like that now. Um, and so that's, that's one of our regulars. Uh, we have another regular lager that we make, uh, which resulted from uh, a gentleman in the neighborhood who would walk past on his on his daily walks with his friend, and he would smell the beer brewing, smell the mash, you know, that that, that, that cracker smell, um, and he would uh, always, uh, you know, give a little victory sign at Phil, you know, sort of shake his fist. Um, and one day Phil said, w "What are you doing? Come on in here and talk to me." And it turns out he uh, is the former assistant brewer at a large local uh, brewery. Wow. They got to talking, and after a few visits and a few beers, Phil got something of a recipe out of him. We figured it out, and so we we made 
our impression of what this beer must have tasted like in the 60s. Interesting. Um, again, we intended it as a one-off batch and people went nuts. People were like, this is a great beer. Um, and so the basics are like, we would like to keep rotating and making interesting other things like like the Czech Dark Lager, like uh, we recently had a Munich Helles on. We have a million ideas for other stuff to make. Can we do that and rotate it with these other two regular beers that we have so that you know people have a reasonable expectation of finding what they want? Um, it turns out we misjudged our audience. Uh, we thought, oh, hazies and hazies and West Coast IPAs, it's hoppy beers, it's what everybody wants. And of course they do, but we have a lot of neighbors who, once they found out we had a craft lager on, uh, their reaction was, oh my God, a beer with no hops. This is great. Finally some beer, right? <laughs> um, and so the, we had right, a choice, but right. to keep trying to make that sort of thing. And so our original intention was not to be a lager brewery, um, but... And I think, uh, honestly, the four of us, of us founders, we're not really all that into lager when we started. And now we're like, let's, let's make more of that. Let's do more of this, you know. Julia started right at the beginning of the year this year. Um, and I don't know, it was like your first week here or something like that. And, and she texted me and said, hey, I've been looking at the brew schedule and I noticed there's a gap. Uh, what do you think about a Czech dark lager? And I was like, well, what do you think about a Czech dark lager? Let's try it. Um, and so this was actually the first recipe she designed for us. It was actually maybe the third or fourth beer of hers that we came out with because they had to age for so long. Um, but we're just delighted. It's just a delightful beer. Sure, sure. So uh, with that intro, with that historical intro, I want to hand it off to Julia to talk about her, the way she thought about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, talk to me. I mean, you know, so you come up with the idea, like, let's brew a Czech dark lager. You know, where where do you go for inspiration on that? And uh, how'd you go about building a recipe? Um, for inspiration, I often go back to a lot of, uh, like, where have I had this beer before that I've really loved it? What breweries uh, are are known for this style? Uh, and I kind of use that as a jumping off point for research. And I found out that uh, there is a particular Czech brewery in Czech Republic. Uh, I forget exactly which one it is, but they basically kind of uh, revived the style. And... They went a, a great deal into their process as well. And I was like, okay, this all looks good. I might, oh, I'm going to tweak this and this and this thing uh, and develop the, the recipe based on that. The other thing, one big thing that I've learned here at Burt Gilman uh, that I haven't seen done at a lot of other breweries is a very gradual, very gradual step crashing, especially with lagers. Right. You know, most other breweries I've uh, worked at, it's it's been like, okay, you know, you have fermentation temperature, you have diacetyl rest. Uh, you might have lagering temperatures, and then you crash it down to 33 degrees. Uh, but Phil introduced me to much more gradual step crashes. Like, okay, we can go down to, say, 55. We can go down to 50 or 48. Uh, kind of very gradually give the, ch the yeast a chance to clean up after itself while kind of calming it down to the point like the beer is as clean and uh, well lagered as possible before actually crashing it to uh to cold condition temperatures uh the place i've worked at our lagers here stay in, stay in the tanks longer than any other place i've uh worked at the, our lagers stay in our fermenters for eight weeks before going to the cold room and that i think is one thing that actually makes our that actually really makes our lagers shine is to give it as much time as it needs right. rather than uh trying to rush it sure uh, sure i mean obviously in the brewing game it's obviously in the brewing game it's like you know you can always try and shuffle more beer through more beer through but or you can do it exactly right and really let it shine and then be able to and be able to attract people by saying hey look we have this really exceptional beer that people will come and will drink and will pay for. Right. Yeah. And honestly, that was a little bit of a of an accidental discovery on our part. Mm -hmm. uh, we have had plenty of times where, uh, okay, the the Vienna Lager was has been in the tank five weeks. Everyone's asking for it. Can we can we try it? Can we try it? Well, I want to wait till six weeks because we were thinking six weeks was our thing, and then we tried it. And then at one point, I don't know, Phil was out sick or something, or something didn't get transferred or whatever. And now, hey, this this batch is eight weeks old. And everyone's like, this is so much better. Oh, <laughs> right. I wonder right. what happened here. And so we we sort of settled on like, if we can, let's let's try to target eight weeks for our lagers. Um, we have friends who do them twelve weeks at other breweries, which yeah. I'm just who knows if if we could afford to leave them in twelve weeks, maybe they'd be that much better. Who knows? Yeah. Um, are there other uh, lager styles that you've uh, uh, found really resonate, uh, you know, with the customers and that you've 
enjoyed brewing? Uh, the Vienna Lager, I've always had a huge soft spot for Vienna right, Lagers right. everywhere I've gone. Uh, I, there's not a style of beer I don't love in some way or another, but I have a, I have a particular soft spot for uh, multi lagers like that. And Vienna Lager, until, say, the last five years or so, uh, I feel has kind of been a neglected style. And it's, to it's, see one, yeah, it's been dominated by one brand from one company. Well, I shouldn't say that. They're, they're more than one. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's Sam Adams Boston Lager is the Vienna Lager that you know, everybody in craft knows mm-hmm. and, you know, can embrace. And so it mm-hmm. becomes that kind of touchstone for folks, um, you know. But it, it's also, because it's familiar, people may not realize that they love Vienna or they enjoy Vienna Lager as much as they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, you know, as we're getting towards the end here, let's, let's zoom out a little bit. Um, you know, 2020 was clearly an amazing year for Burt Gilman, a difficult year for the brewery as for, as it was for all breweries right. trying to you know adapt and respond to, you know, COVID closures and the pandemic, um, you know, but certainly amazing high points at the end of, of last year. Um, what does the immediate future look like for Burke Gilman? And then what is the ultimate long-term goal? What's the, what's the big vision and what do you hope to achieve, you know, in the years to come? So our immediate goal is, I mean, honestly, we've been so focused on, um, on the pandemic and how we respond to that because we can't be a crowded, happy neighborhood tap room right now. Um, with the announcements very recently, it, we can kind of see how that might happen, you know, in the near future, yeah. which is which is great. Everybody get vaccinated so we can all get back to tap Everyone rooms. please get vaccinated. Um, I think our, our immediate goal is actually, it, it ties in with something um, Phil was, was messaging me about just this morning, saying, you know what? We might have bar seating again for the first time in a year and a half in like six weeks. We're going to need to make a ton of hoppy beers. I mean, they're, they're still with the hoppy beers again. Right. And um, what if we buy all those hops now before the price goes up? And so he <laughs> sent me a list of like, you know, many thousands of dollars worth of hops. But I was like, this is a pretty good idea, actually. You know, okay, let me. All right. Let, let me sit down and look at this. All right. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's our immediate goal is figure out how to navigate this change. You know, the same way we navigate the change of shutdown. Now we're going to navigate the change of opening up. Um, figure out how to do that and continue to supply our customers. I mean, it's likely we won't be sending out a lot of kegs or cans during the summer because we can sell them all here, which is right, great. Right. Um, but we also want to keep those accounts happy because they were very good to us and they helped us survive during the pandemic. Sure. Long term, uh, I think I was saying earlier, I mean, we made something like 280 barrels last year. Um, I would love to, through better utilization and maybe some expansions in equipment, if we can fit them in those, in those eight foot ceilings, as, as Phil points out, uh, expand to 700, something like that. Um, I could see us going to a thousand maybe, but I can't see us getting beyond that without moving. Right. Right. Um, and so the more we can sell on site, the more we are fulfilling our core mission of being a friendly neighborhood joint. Um, I personally would love it if when, when people who are, who really know beer or, you know, people who really appreciate beer are talking about, well, where do you want to go in Seattle? Like if we're one of those, one of those top breweries they mentioned, like, Oh, I, I never heard of those guys. I never seen them on Tavor. I, I don't know. I don't know who they are. Right. Uh, and, and that the real, you know, the real beer heads are like, listen, you gotta, you gotta go to Burke Gilman. Just trust me. Just go. Right. Um, that's, I think that's my, my ultimate goal. I, I, I think I, I share that with, 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 with all my partners. And you're doing that and building this destination in a way that also doesn't alienate your local neighborhood audience exactly. that, I, that I imagine yeah. really enjoys having a brewery that has, has those kinds of accolades yeah. and is brewing that quality of beer right. and primarily serving them. Yeah. I mean, I think from a pure business sense, it would make a lot of sense with, with these, with these big awards to say, listen, we need to rent a warehouse somewhere. We need to scale up. We need to get this in cans. We need to get this in bottle shops all up and down the coast. And honestly, none of us partner, all of us partners look at that and say, eh, that probably makes sense, but eh, I wanted to open a neighborhood giant. You know, this yeah. is what I want to do. Yeah. So we're just going to be a neighborhood joint where you happen to be able to get some of the best beer in, in Washington. So that's cool. And know. as beer geeks, you get to enjoy it yourselves too. Exactly. Yeah. Phil, what's, uh, what are your goals? Uh, man, if you told me a couple of years ago, I was going to win JBF and Elf King, I, 
I would just walk away. Sure, <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> I, uh, right now, I need, I need to make sure these guys, um, we can recover financially from 2020. Right. Um, and, you know, for, for me, it's, it's, been, it's been just absolutely stunning and eye-opening, the transformative change that happens, all the doors that open for you when you win big. And a year ago, I remember telling Ken, I could see where our beer was going. I knew it had potential. And I have this, I have this test I do when, when we're talking about the quality of the beer. And I say, just imagine somebody hands you this beer and says, it won GBF Gold. Would you believe it or not? And, and as long as it's like, well, maybe, then uh, we should send it. And, and they're like, GBF, you're, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Alfgang, you, are you out of your mind? So... And I'm like, you know, there's 8,000 breweries in the United States, and you mean to tell me that only 180 of them think they had a chance? I'll take that odds any day. So uh, my, yeah, I, I like competitions. I want to keep, um, that's really uh, been really motivating, really rewarding. Uh, it really hones your craft. It really forces you to study, do the research, do the R&D. None of this would have happened unless I had paid time on a paid time to do R&D, a lot of it. Uh, so for years out, um, we can only expand so far without the quality going down. Um, I'm extremely quality focused. Um, that's kind of the whole point with, with sure, entering competitions sure. um, is that your quality, you really have a laser focus on quality. And then when, when I'm stretched to my limits, we hire somebody, not an assistant brewer, somebody with a, a, a relatively equal amount of you know, uh, time with boots on the ground that is going to have a completely different perspective than I am. And you get a, uh, I hate to use the word synergy, but that's exactly what you get. Sure. Um, sure. So, and now where before I would do anything I could to avoid to working two consecutive brew days in a row, cause something will go wrong. You're tired, cranky. Now I, I need literally a third of that energy level. And so now uh, Julie and I, we just split up the brew days on who's right. leading that who's leading that and who's playing the sporting role. But years out, um, more fresh hop beers, more hoppier beers, more, yeah. more, experimental, more experimental hops. Once we figure out which key hops we're focusing on. Um, and just regionally, I, I really hope, I, there's such a competitive edge with, with fresh hop, entering fresh hop beers into, uh, into, in particular, the Alpha King competition. And I really hope to see the Northwest yeah, uh, d dominate, um, yeah. dominate in that in that competition. It doesn't have to be me. That that'd be great. But it's I, I there's been <laughs> there's only twenty one of twenty one yeah. Alfkins, and I, I'd hope to see some more Washington brewers do it. Sure, sure. Julie, what's the next uh, beer style that uh, you're really excited to brew? Let me let me and uh, well, actually, for Pride Month, uh, I'm going to be brewing just an old school American IPA, which is I feel. Like with all the hazies and all the West Coast coming out, uh, that's that's just, I mean that's a style that just hasn't gotten a lot of love lately. And I like to see where kind of the gaps are, what styles are not kind of getting the limelight that they used to get or that I feel they deserve, and and go like I kind of want to do this again. So something old school American, like five percent pale ale uh, with a lot of sea hops in it, uh, probably. More sea hops I mean more of the hops than you would probably see in an average pale ale because right. we are Burke Gilman. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you have I want expectations to fulfill. Exactly. It's, it's right. mandatory. <laughs> I signed a contract on my first day on the job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you will dry hop with no fewer than four pounds per barrel. <laughs> uh, but no, I have that. I mean, I'm going to be working on that pale ale. Uh, I'm uh, going to be brewing a Kolsch for the summertime, which I I love super simple summer crushers like that. And again, like uh, lagers like that can be super big challenges because super simple, nowhere to hide. But you still want to have them as clean and refined as possible. Right, right. And it's I'm very much a process nerd when it comes to beer and to and to be able to see. Like Phil, I mean, like Phil said, uh, you know, we both have a lot of experience in this industry, but every new brewery that you go to is always a learning opportunity to see what other people do, what other people's processes are. And I have already learned an incredible amount from working with Phil because, uh, I mean, he's 
exceptional. He makes exceptional beer, and I just want to keep making exceptional beer alongside him for Burke Gilman. You're doing good. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you all for joining me on the podcast today. G&D Chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. Set your compass by RAR North Star Pills. Benefit from the scale of Old Orchard. Set up your account on marketmybrewery.com today. SS Brewtech is advancing brewing equipment design, performance, and quality, and gain peace of mind with Clarion Lubricants. Of course, if you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com and click on the subscribe button. If you're a pro brewer, consider our all-access pro subscriptions that combine both of the magazines with exclusive online content and more. And, uh, you know, maybe if you read the magazine, you'll be inspired to brew that next beer style, right, uh, Kenneth? I strongly recommend the all-access subscription. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, if people want to learn more about Burke Gilman or drink the beer in real life or find out, uh, you know, follow you on, uh, on the Internet, where do they find you? Uh, so we have, uh, I think we're on Instagram at Brewing. well, just Burke Brewing. I think this is the same for Facebook. I think it's the same for Twitter. I actually can't remember. One of them is Burke Gilman Brewing. The other two are Burke Brewing. Uh, or just go to BurkeGilmanBrewing.com and we got links to all of them. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, thank you all for joining me on the podcast today. It's been fun to kind of dive into that winning mentality. And, uh, you know, 2020 was a pretty fantastic year in terms of awards and recognition for you all. I hope that 2021 and 2022 and 2023 are, are similarly fruitful uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, even if there are no awards, uh, we're going to have people in a tap room, elbow to elbow, drinking beer, having fun together, having conversations. Uh, and I think it's going to be outstanding in that way, no matter what happens with awards. So I will, get your vaccination. I will drink to that. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.